His name was Jason. Jason Voorhees. Born Friday, June 13th, 1944. Or 46 or 47, depending on who you ask. Tonight, I talked to actor C.J. Graham about his role in Jason Lives, Friday the 13th, Part 6. Also tonight, Brian returns, and we debut a brand new theme song written specifically for the show by Brian and performed by Brian and his friend, John Lacari. So, let's hear it. Jason. Hey, it was one of those lucky, right place, right time. Uh, and then once the opportunity was given, of course, it was delivering a product, you know, quality. So uh, I was a general manager of a nightclub in Los Angeles. Um, I had a hypnotist on Thursday nights as part of my entertainment for the week. Uh, and the hypnotist brought in an outside company to do a production shoot of his show that he could put together a tape uh, for his usage to get other gigs. It just happened that the company, the production company, was also called Real Effects, that did all the special effects on part four with Ted White. Oh, cool. And uh, they said, well, why don't you do something with a, a Jason character in your skit? And in doing so, they said, well, look, we, got the, we got the wardrobe from part four. We'll put CJ in it because he's got about the same size as Ted. And honestly, the rest is history, because after we did that, the guys from Real Effects were so, uh, you know, just, wow, this is it. They actually said, hey, we're going to cast you for Jason. And of course, I looked at them and laughed and didn't think another thing ever until about three, four months later. And they called me to go down and meet Paramount Studios' Frank Mancuso Jr. and Tom McLaughlin, the writer-director. So in that phrase, the old saying, the rest is history, is a true statement. Wow. That's impressive. That really is. Um, I think I'd, I kind of knew some of that, but, you know, it's 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 entirely different when you hear it straight from the source. You know, it's really cool. So well, when, when you hear it through a secondary, most people paraphrase and or make it so big that, you know, the fish was actually two feet rather than 12 inches. But it is kind of an interesting um, monologue, so to speak, how I got a part playing an iconic role 35 years later we're talking about it yeah absolutely i mean and and that one's actually one of the more popular sequels of you know uh, it's actually one of the more popular movies in the franchise i think i think time's been very good to that one yeah i mean were there others besides number six i don't even i didn't know that (laughs) none that mattered you know (laughs) no that's terrible i can't say that i shouldn't say that that's terrible (laughs) good recovery good recovery on your part 
Interview is almost over. Good recovery. Um, I did not care for the eighth film. I'm going to say that, but I think that's pretty universal. I don't think a lot of people care for that one. But anyway, we're here to talk about yours, which is, like I said, one of the best ones. So, had you seen any of the previous five films before taking on the role? I'm sure you had, right? Actually, I had not. Really? Um, I was not a, you know, a, a Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, or Leatherface fan or not. It wasn't that I was or wasn't. It was just, I was, I really enjoyed Universal uh, horror figures of the 60s, The Mummy and Dracula, Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Uh, however, when they said I was going out for the part, I did have to go down and rent a couple so I could understand characteristically what I was supposed to be creating. Uh, but at the end of the day, the benefit to me was not really having a familiarization with it because Tom McLaughlin was trying to put his own spin on what he was looking for rather than uh, a copycat. Because up to part six, the character was still developing and being created. There really wasn't a full substance. Um, right. I think I can say part six is where Jason actually became the principal of the film uh, because everybody was watching Friday the 13th to see what Jason was going to do. Yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of brings me to, like, that was what I was going to ask. It was Jason's kind of like James Bond because there's been so many different actors behind the hockey mask, you know, and that was basically what I was going to say was, what did you do to distinguish yours, if anything, from the uh, ones that came before? Well, at the end of the day, Tom McLaughlin, I think the benefit of not having experience was to my benefit because Tom gave me direction and understanding of his vision, and with the exception of just being physically large and, you know, a, a menacing walk, just that, you know, being an ex-military guy, um, I was able to follow his instructions very well. I think that pleasantly pleased him. But at the end of the day, set the standards for what Jason had become over the series. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your service, too, by the way. I would meant to mention that at the beginning of the call, and, of course, it slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my apologies. No, you know, I, I appreciate that. I always tell people that, you know, uh, you know apology and, uh, appreciation accepted, but I always say I think the ones that we have to remember are the ones that didn't come home because those are the ones we should be thanking. Of course, yeah. Um. So, what about filming? What was that like for you? It was interesting because it was my first experience. Um, so again, I was very well following instructions. I didn't have any preconceived notions of how I was supposed to be on set or how things were supposed to be done, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so for me, it was fun. I mean, I was out there having a good time shooting all night long. We had a couple day scenes, but for the most part, 90, 95% was shot at dark until the sun came up. So I had yeah. a good time. I, mean, I just laid around and got called on set. They hooked me up, put me together, put squids on my body or put a cable on my back or whatever, uh, gel me up, set me on fire. You know, kick me, roll me, tuck me, and, you know, I'd go back and relax and bullshit with the special effects people in the back of the trailer and go back out and do my thing. So, <laughs> I, was, I was having a good time. Like, hey, this is fun. Right? It, 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 looks, it looks fun. You know, I mean, if, you know, from your point of view, I mean, you just get to walk around and dismember some teenagers, you know, <laughs> you know, all night. It looks fun. It definitely looks fun. Um, were there yeah, any scenes... I get to do things that some people wish they could do, but they really can't do. So I always tell people I got to kill 18 people and get away with it. I didn't go to jail. <laughs> Very good, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. Um, what were there any scenes that were difficult to film for you? Well, it wasn't that everything was difficult. Um, you know, when you're, you know, late twenties and you, you think you pretty much are invisible, um, your challenges are no challenges. They're just, oh, I can do that. Um, you don't even hesitate or think. There's not even a thought of uh, incompleting the, you know, the task at hand. So I was more, you know, challenged to say, this is cool, this is fun, and watching the dailies what would become of the film once it was done, having no idea that we do this in 1986 and, you know, the same year Top Gun and everything came out. And then here we are 35 years, 36 years later, still talking about it. Yeah. And I mean, and it just shows, you know, Jason is invincible. You know, he really is. Um, and I, I, I know what you're saying. Like when you're that age, you really kind of do feel invincible, you know, um, you don't really hesitate when you jump into anything. It's just like, oh, it's fun, you know. So, um, and then when filming wrapped and the film was released, what was that experience? Did it change your life at all? Just a little bit. No, it actually for me it didn't. I, because my intent wasn't to be in Los Angeles to be an actor or a stuntman. So for me, I did my job, I got my paycheck, and then all of a sudden I found out the incredible strength of having a Screen Actors Guild card, a side card. Uh, because I didn't know what it was until they gave it to me. They they call it call it a tap partly, and at that point, people were saying, "Well, why don't you go on calls? Why don't you get a commercial agent? Why don't you?" And I said, "Well, I guess I should. I mean, I'm still running clubs at night. I have my daytime to, you know, try as a thing. So in that regards, uh, you know, historically, I did you know uh, five or six national commercials." Um, everything from AT&T to Gatorade to Miller Beer to Colgate. Oh, cool. I didn't know um, that. And, yeah, and then uh, came back to do Hell Cop in Highway to Hell. And then since then, even though I went in, back into the gaming industry as a, a casino executive, um, I've still been able to fill some different roles over the years. That is cool. I, I didn't know that. That's that's awesome. I hope that actually a lot of people listening, you know, which, you know, this isn't live. It won't air until this later this week. But um, I hope that they learn, you know, some stuff about you, too. That's pretty cool. So um, where do you see the future of the franchise? Well, you know, there's a, we're dormant, of course, for 10 years. Um, Mr. Miller and Mr. Cunningham are both the creators in one form or another. They have a difference of opinion on on. Uh, business arrangement, and I, I understand that. Going back to myself, I retired three years ago as the chief operating officer, general manager of two casino resorts. With that being said, I had about twenty three hundred employees and close to a hundred million dollar payroll. Um, so I get business, uh, and they have an opinion on each of them who owns those rights. Now, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback. Uh, the plays over, hey, he should have went to the left or she should have went to the right. You yeah. know? Um, so with that being said, to be absolutely fair, if I was in charge, um, I'd go ahead and just go ahead and put it on the shelf and I would go ahead and shoot three by the 13th with the same Jason for consistency and continuity of the profile. But I'd use three different directors and I'd shoot them in a row while we have the equipment and everything at a location. And um, I'd go ahead and release one. I'd put all the money into 
um, the bank under a trust. And when the two parties in question are under agreement in whatever becomes of that, you either split the money that's sitting in the bank, which conservatively is going to be $100 million, or whoever wins takes the full prize. But at the same time, uh, you know, 18 months later, you've got one already canned you can release, and then two years later, you've got another one that can ready to release. So you've got a five, six-year plan right now that we could actually get, you know, part 13, 14, and 15 on the shelf, and that would be really great for the fans. Because I don't want to... I don't want us to forget the fans are what made us who we are. Um, and I mean that with respect to Mr. Cunningham and Mr. Miller. The success of the franchise, yes, it was their creation, their baby, but these fans have been good to us by, you know, putting us on top of the charts, so to speak. And you don't want to lose the faith of the fans. And it's been 10 years. They're waiting patiently, and they're all watching a lot of fan films as we go through this process. But I think, you know, Everybody's waiting for the two parties in question to, to come to some type of arrangement, at least to get a film out as they go through the legal uh, legalities of who owns what and who deserves what. Right. And hopefully they'll get something worked out soon because I think everybody's pretty much ready for another film, you know. And you and what you were saying, too, about the fans. I've interviewed a lot of people on the show, like as far as, well, I mean, I've only been doing it for a few months, but I mean, I've had, you know, a lot of people that I wanted on here, I've gotten on here. And, you know, I've noticed that the the horror community seems to be more welcoming for to their fans. They seem to be more receptive to their fans. And so, you know, I appreciate you taking your time to come on here, you know, because that's your reflection of that, you know, like that the horror community is a very open place. So, um, what are you up to these days? About six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> um, sarcastically, I'm about twelve, thirteen pounds heavier than nineteen eighty six. I was about two three, two forty four. But really I did retire three years ago. Like I said, I was chief operating officer, general manager of a couple of casino resorts in Rancho Mirage and Palm Springs of Coachella Valley. Uh, you know, I worked for several years as an executive for uh, the Palms for Win Prestigious Entertainment. So when I retired three and a half years ago, um, I put myself out there to do conventions, uh, and I, you know, I've always kept my Screen Actors Guild card active. Uh, about a year ago, I had an opportunity to play Elias Voorhees in a fan film. Um, there's always been talk about Jason's father. Right. So yeah. I went and played that part. It was a blast. You know, I grew a beard for four months. They put this stringy wig on me, and I basically squared off with my son, Jason. Uh, another actor, uh, his name is Jason Brooks. Um, this past year, 2020, before everything became, you know, somewhat dormant, um, I did a film, 13 Fanboy, uh, for Deborah Voorhees, uh, and her group, and, you know, Kane Hodder is in it, uh, Corey Feldman, Dean Wallace, uh, takes the lead in this, as are some of the other actresses and actors from the Friday the 13th series and others, and it was fun. You know, I mean, it was a good time. And then, of course, uh, the last convention I did earlier this year was in Sweden, which was a blast, a good time. And right now, we're just kind of dormant, you know, waiting for everybody to go through, unfortunately, this this healthy issue that we have going on. But um, as far as me personally, you know, I've really enjoyed myself. You know, I have a ranch in uh, Arizona. I have a, a ranch up in Montana. Um, I have horses and alpacas and beehives and you know, when I get an opportunity to go do a convention, I do. 
uh, you know, kind of going full circle with the fans of the horror community. I mean, horror conventions have been going on for 15, 16, 18 years conservatively, and they've been a very strong community. And over the last five to ten years, you've seen a uptick in comic cons, the Alabama Comic Con, you know, the Tennessee Comic Con, New yeah. York, yeah. Con, and Fear Fest. And, but, you know, you go back to the roots, you know, Monster Mania in New Jersey has been around for, oh, about 18 years, give or take. You've got a great show of Spooky Empire in uh, Florida and Texas right now, of course, Lloyd and his people. And then you've got, and they're in Texas, of course, and then you've got the Crypticons, et cetera, around the United States. The great thing is they're actually having us go to Germany do shows, England do shows, and as I said earlier, Sweden. So right. it's been, you know, a huge blessing. Um, the one thing I think, you know, to that I really appreciate about playing Jason is, um, and this is a crazy, funny thing to say, but it's true. If I went to India right now and showed a picture of C.J. Graham, they go, who is that? <laughs> but if I showed them a picture of Tom Cruise, they go, hey, it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> but if I took the picture of C.J. Graham and flipped it over and showed a picture of a hockey mask, they go, Jason. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because it is an iconic and it has become iconic I mean Mr. Miller and Mr. Cunningham uh, regardless of the outcome of their differences got to be proud of creating something that's going to be it's been around for decades obviously but will be around for many decades to come definitely do you have any last words you want to leave the show with well I think one thing that I always tell people about Friday the 13th part 6 I always giggle because Kane Hodder did a good job. He really did, did a great job in his four. And Derek Mears and Ken and everybody. Um, Kane Hodder's been a great ambassador out there pushing the Friday the 13th. So I think you know he deserves a shout-out for all the work he's done to keep it active out there over the, the last 30 years, to be fair. Um, but I will tell you one thing I always say about Part 6. I was lucky. I think it's maybe, if not one of the better ones in the series, maybe the best. I mean... You know, I get to come out like James Bond. Uh, I get to come back to life like Frankenstein. I get to wear a Batman utility belt. And uh, I get to have a Hall of Famer rock and roller do the music. That was Cooper. So I really got lucky in part six. So I'm very fortunate that I did part six. And uh, we'll look forward to see what happens in part 13. And we'll see. Thank you for your time, CJ. I appreciate you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks to the fans, and thank you, everybody. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, this is Brian with another movie review. I decided to kind of do something a little bit different this week, and I'm going to be talking about the Extro Trilogy. For those of you who don't know what the Extro Trilogy is, um, they are three different uh, science fiction alien movies that came out between 1982 and, I think, 1985. Uh, the thing that I find most unique about this set of trilogies is that all three of them are directed by the same director, Harry Broomley uh, Davenport, but they are all completely different from each other. I like Extra 1 the best because I think it's the most unique, whereas Extra 2 was just an alien ripoff and Extra 3 is kind of a predator ripoff. But Extra 1 was made in 1982 and it was actually released by New Line Cinema. Extra One follows a small boy whose father gets abducted when he is very young. When you fast forward to the present time, 1982, 
you find that the mother has a new boyfriend and the whole family has kind of moved on from the father disappearing. They do not know that he was abducted by aliens. Only the boy kind of remembers this. Soon after we learn all of this, the father actually comes back from outer space in the form of an alien. Now there's a very graphic scene of the alien impregnating a lady in the house and then the lady gives birth to a full-grown man which is a pretty insane scene seeing a full-grown man coming out of some lady's uh, vagina <laughs> I'm sorry this movie's just so so ridiculous um, so basically he comes out of the the lady and he's you know the father he comes back to the little boy in the family uh, the movie has to deal with the uh, family kind of accepting him back and realizing that uh, he actually wasn't gone. Uh, they, the mother blames him for abandoning the family and she kind of says that she has moved on from him. Um, but later on in the movie, the father gives the boy special powers and <laughs> these special powers uh, give him the ability to kind of control things that he uses to exact re revenge on various different people who live in the apartment building that he lives in. So for example, one scene, the lady kills his pet snake, so he makes his um, G.I. Joe come to life and go after her. Um, another scene, uh, there's a panther in it and the panther goes and kills someone and there's tons of these like ridiculous kind of like um sight gags like a uh, a little clown uh turns into a real person um but what i really like best about extra the first one especially is the special effects i think that the alien in the beginning the alien design although it's just a man in a costume it's very well done and I think the alien was actually played by a contortionist so it could uh, walk the way it walked. Um, later on in the movie a lot of the special effects then are kind of cool also but it does get kind of silly with you know the boy being able to control things and uh, turn things into real life and kind of exact his revenge on that. Um, I highly recommend this movie like I do any other movie I review. Uh, if you have a strong stomach and don't mind seeing, you know, someone give birth to a full-grown man, uh, you know, check it out. Um, it's not disappointing. It's not the best movie, uh, but I think it's very entertaining, especially if you have a group of friends. Thanks for listening, everybody. No new episode next week, but then we'll be back with the last two episodes of the season. I think you'll enjoy them. Until next time, stay safe.